Hi guys, welcome back to episode 13 of the Rugby Collective podcast. Uh, a little bit of a chat about some of the prone results this week. Um, and we'll also be looking at a few refereeing decisions because we saw a few red cards across the, the Gallagher Premiership and, and a bit of a notable one in the URC too. So we'll have a, um, a quick look at our, our thoughts on that. Of course, I'm here with James Seagrave again. How's your week been, James? Uh, yeah, all right. Not too... Well, I was away at the weekend, so I didn't actually get to watch much of the rugby. So you'll have to give me... The lowdown and most of it, but yeah, decent. Good, that's good. Yeah, I was I was um, bed bound with shingles this weekend, so it was a good excuse to watch as much rugby as possible, and I took full advantage. So, um, yeah, I've, I had my good fair dose of um, of rugby insight this week, which is good news for the pod. Um, right, let's start off then. You, you have seen the red card instance, haven't you? So. We should be yeah. okay to talk through some of this stuff. So we'll start off with um, the the Hepburn red. We'll go straight um, into the reds, are we? Oh, controversial. Should we go into the reds first, or should we go have a look at the prem results? Let's have a look at the prem results first, and then we'll go into the reds after. Um, we started the week off at Ashton Gate, um, Bristol versus Sale. Um, I believe you predicted that one right, didn't you? I'm pretty sure I backed Bristol, um, but not by that margin. Uh, I know we had, we had a bit of conversation during the game and we did say it was a bit unfair, maybe the margin um, on sale. But yeah, looks very comfortable on, on paper. Yeah, and it, it was all but, wasn't it, really? I think Sale put some good pressure on. There was two of the most minimal knock-ons I've, I've seen sort of to the point where that had to be several replays to to determine there was definitely a knock-on, which chalked two of the Sharks' tries off, which was painstaking for, for Sale. I've got no allegiances to Sale or Bristol, so I was definitely um, uh, neutral to this game. And I, I couldn't help but feeling sorry for Sale at the end of that game because the knock-ons didn't really have an effect, did they, on play? It was so marginal. They, they almost brushed the ball, which chalked a couple of theirs off. But um, I think Bristol will be... Absolutely delighted with a win because Sale aren't doing too well themselves. Uh, just closes that gap up, doesn't it, in, in the mid-table? Yeah, I think people were looking at Sale uh, last week after they got a big win at Wasps um, and were thinking, oh, maybe this is when they're going to push on. I think I might have even said it last week. Uh, might be their springboard. Um, but yeah, crashing back down. And I think it, the good thing for Bristol and what maybe Bristol fans would have liked was their defence. Okay, as you said, they uh, sale were a bit unlucky, but it, it, Bristol were backs against the walls for pretty much the entire second half, um, and they managed to cling on. Um, but yeah, I thought it thought it was a good game. Uh, I liked some of the refereeing in this. Talk about refereeing. Liked uh, it was obviously Wayne Barnes. I think it was his two hundred fiftieth game um, in the Premiership that this game. So wet, fair play to him. But yeah, I thought when he gave Tom Curry the yellow card in the first half. When when he hadn't actually given a penalty, but it was a four penalties in the one play. I really like that because I think too many referees let players get, get away with it, especially early on. If that had been the case, it, but he was like, right, you're giving away four penalties away in this single play. Right, you're off. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And obviously, congrats to to Barnsley for two hundred two hundred fifty. Was it two hundred fifty games? I think so. Yeah, great achievement for him. And he, well, he is known as one of the better refs and he, he very rarely gets much wrong, does he? Um, so yeah, credit to him on that one. Um, I think when you talk about Bristol's defence, I think on the topic of Sale's defence, that was their undoing, wasn't it? There was 
the, the, I think Bristol's first two tries, they just walked through. Um, I think both times were sort of through that 13 channel as well. Um, so, yeah, I think they got a little bit exposed through that way and Bristol took full um, full advantage of that. So it was it was a shame for Sale. I think both sides were, were fairly decent. But, yeah, Bristol coming out on top brings it to just three points below Sale now. Um, so still at the bottom yeah, of well, the... Well, I'm a bit closer. Yeah, talking about the 13, I think that's where they targeted, wasn't it? I think Rob Dupree was Rob Dupree's was playing uh, 13 for sale. And I think they really targeted that as an area of weakness. Obviously, normally a 10. Uh, and against Semi Redrada is, is kind of a mismatch there, isn't it? So, I yeah, think I actually think it, it was more Luke Marham, wasn't it, causing the damage, sort of forcing yeah. those overloads and coming through at 15. Um, but Perhaps. I think it was partially semi Redrada drawing the attention drawing because they knew. And then that gives the space at the back. But yeah, some of the tackling in that first half was poor by both teams, really. But yeah, second half, I think Bristol can be proud of, of what they did and managing to eke out a win because I think a lot of the games this season, if they've kind of been a bit similar to that, only the other teams kind of done what Bristol did there. So good, good signs for Bristol. And you talk about. Um... You talk about what am I trying to say? You talk about uh, Sammy Radrada. Um, since he's come back from injury, he's not quite been the player we saw last year. Do you think that's down to him as an individual? Maybe just receiving overpraise last season. Maybe he's, he is playing better than a lot of people are saying this season. Or do you think it's literally just because of the, the style of rugby that Bristol are playing? They're not able to get that front football. Um, as, as often and as dominantly as they, they have been in sort of previous years? I think it's mixed the two. I think he isn't playing as well as he was, but I think that's meant to be expected when he was out for, what, best parts of six months, um, not playing any rugby. It's going to take him a while to get back into it. And also, you look at it, he left when he was playing, he was playing for a team that topped the, the championship last season. They were top of the league, and then obviously, obviously they didn't win it, but they were top of the league. Uh, and probably many would say should have beaten Quinns in the in the semi final. Uh, looking at the lead they had, and yeah. um, you look at the team he stepped back into, and the confidence, just everything, and especially I think the way they play the game, so much relies on that confidence. And Bristol this season, I think from that semi final turnaround, their confidence has just dropped out of them completely, and I'm not sure they fully got it back yet at all. So I think it's they're kind of intertwined and it's one in the same. Yeah, I agree. And I think Rajon has taken a lot of unnecessary slack on, on sort of social media and stuff. He's not in the best form, but the standards that we've been used to seeing are so sky high. Maintaining that all the time is is almost the impossible task, isn't it? And he will come back into form. When, and uh, as you say, when he comes back into form, it would be very likely that Bristol all of a sudden start winning a lot more games as well because he is literally that influential Um but yeah, on, on the flip side of that, just want because I want to say it. still better than Piers O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the flip side of um, Radrada, um, we look at Lloyd out on the wing. He's been fantastic, and I, I think he got man of the match that game. Up, I could could be wrong on that. He certainly got my man of the match. Um, I thought he's fantastic. That those, those steps and then the offload for the bonus point try at the end are nothing short of world class. Um, especially the offload over two defenders considerably bigger than himself to get that off over the top and then see that player through. Fantastic little bit of play. 
Well, I think the, the problem with Lloyd you've seen so far is uh, he's never really settled in a position. And I think maybe this season is the first time where he's played consistently because I think we've seen a bit of 10, we've seen a bit of fullback. And I think he's consistently kind of got a run on the wing in recent weeks. And I think he has really benefited from that because I think it's difficult as a player stepping in and out of the team and stepping into lots of different positions. So I think he has definitely benefited from having a little bit of a run in one consistent position. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, and yeah, when, when he's in those wide channels, he's got a bit of space to roam and he takes full advantage on, on most occasions. Um, but yeah, great win for Bristol. Um, still sat in 11th as it stands, but on the, on the up, that's their fourth game that they've won so far this season, which takes them to three points behind Sale and three points behind um, Newcastle Falcons at the midway point. So not where they want to be, but they're they're definitely on the up. Um, and a, a big game in terms of the top four battle, um, Harlequins versus Exeter, narrowly won by Harlequins. Obviously, there was a red card for, for Hepburn at halftime, which sort of um, determined the way the, the, the second half would go. But it didn't go... As, as a lot of people thought it would. Um, and I thought Exeter were ridiculously resilient to hold on to, to that lead. And, and Quinns were literally a matter of inches away from, from finishing things off on a on a multitude of occasions, really. How much of this game did you watch, James, or none at all? Uh, no, I didn't really get to... I watched bits and bobs of it, but not a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, it, again, it shows their seasons, doesn't it? Uh, Exeter, a couple of seasons ago, would have... Uh, got the win over here when it was tight and horrible and Quinns with Marcus Smith coming in clutch that is kind of where they're at um, just grind out these wins but I think the interesting thing here was a lot of it was kind of pack based um, and Harlequins were able to get forward in the pack which obviously has always been well for recent years has been Exeter's real strength has always been their pack so it was interesting to see Quinns, who maybe you would associate with stronger backs, being able to get the better of Exeter's pack. And I saw quite a few um, scrum penalties going their way. So I think, I know, I know we did the props review a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure we really mentioned Quinns that much. Maybe we should have mentioned them more because they really kind of did a job on Exeter here. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think the frustrating thing for Quinns and what they will be frustrated with when they look back at this one um, as you say, that the forwards actually set a really nice um, foundation for, for this wide attacking play that we're so used to seeing. And the amount of times that Smith managed to pull a kick off into the corner, and it was literally a matter of inches away from, from coming off, but instead resulted in knock-ons or, or kicks going just into touch. And it was only till late on when Esther Hazen managed to run one over um, that, that they really, well, well, they did win the game on that on the back of that. Um, I think Exeter will be able to take a lot of um, a lot of pride from that performance. So never it was it was almost a performance of an Exeter of old that we used to seeing over the last couple of years, which I suppose is a a positive for them. Obviously, they would have hoped they could have done it with fifteen men rather than fourteen. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a great contest to watch despite the the lower score. Um, but I do I must say um, I did think Esther Hazen's turnover at the end. I think the penalty should have gone the other way. I think he was clearly on it on his hands before he competed for the ball. Um, I think he got away with one a bit there, but but it got given, and and that's what happens in in sports, isn't it? These these fifty fifty decisions go go the way of of one team, and obviously that was the the final touch to to win the game. But 
Um, but yeah, well, well deserved to Quinn's overall, I think. But but you can't discredit Exeter at all on that one. Well, yeah, I think any team that goes to the stoop and limits Quinn's to fourteen points, you you're gonna back yourself that you you have a good chance of winning. So they're unlucky, but I think getting a losing bonus point at Quinn's is not too bad. No, I'd agree with that. Um, slightly less close game. Um, Newcastle versus Saints, eight points to 44. Saints ran over five tries, I believe, maybe six tries. Um, yeah, some really positive performances from Northampton. They've been struggling a little bit with with results recently, um, but they've they sort of brought it back and, and just showed what a dominant side they can be. Furbank had a great game. Lewis Ludlam was a, was a really strong player too. Dan Bigger, obviously, very good from the tee. Um, and then Courtney goes and got another try. I think that's 10 in 10 now, maybe 11 in 11, something something along those lines. Fantastic performance again, though, and what, what a sign and ease turned out to be. Um, I think from a Falcons point of view, I think this would probably be the most worrying performance of the season so far. Um, I know by talking to a few of their fans, um, they've said it's the worst performance of their season so far, and it is really causing some concern. Um Obviously, quite likely that if Adam Radwan's fit, he'll probably go to England in the next couple of weeks too. Um, so they'll lose a big name there, as well as potentially some other ones like Jamie Blamire. Um, yeah, slightly concerning times for the Falcons at the moment. Yeah, I, it's echoes of last season, isn't it? Uh, where they started off not too bad and it's really fallen off a cliff and we're not even at the halfway season yet. Um, and yeah, they seem to be a bit defensively fragile at the moment um, obviously Saints and I think when you look at it, it is Saints weird way that when they're on they're bloody on and they score a lot of points I think realistically only uh, Quinns could really outscore Northampton at the moment when when Northampton are on but um, I think if Northampton can get more consistent if it, I think it may be frustrating for Northampton fans because if you saw this side every week they'd probably be up with Leicester Sarries, but you don't. Um, and that's why they're where they are in the league. I think about fifth or sixth um, in and around Exeter. But yeah, so it's it it a bit frustrating. But when Northampton are going, it, they are a, a real force. As you said, Skosen, maybe he has a few questions defensively when I've watched him. He's not. But when he got, he's given the ball in his hands, and he, he knows where the trial line is. Um, but yeah, North- Newcastle, they're conceding a lot of points and they don't score many naturally. Um, they haven't really ever scored a lot of points. So, yeah, worrying times. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the top four battle, if you if you look at it, there's it's, well, it's, it's very heavily contested. I think you look at Exeter, who are in sixth with 33 points, to Gloucester, who are in fourth with 38. And even Irish are only seven points away from that top for so at the halfway stage it's absolutely all to play for and yeah we'll, we'll we'll definitely see what happens and I think Northampton will definitely continue to knock on that door if not sort of solidify their place in that top four um but yeah Northampton fans be delighted with that one Falcons fans less so um and then the the other game on Saturday was Saracens versus Gloucester um I think Gloucester have been going very well recently but not a lot of people would have um, wagered for them to go and get a, a victory at Saracens. Um, never won at the Stone X before, but um, they pulled out a 25-24 win. Um, Lazowski will be kicking himself with some some simple kicks that were missed to uh, to 
sort of leave some points out on the field, but Gloucester were good for it. Driving Mall again proved incredibly dominant uh, and saved them a couple of times. Um, got sliced open by Saracens a couple of times, but but for the most part, their defence was very strong and, and held off for, for large portions. I think they just outgritted um, Saracens in the end and, and came away with that, that minimal win, but a win nonetheless. Yeah, well, this is the first of the two predictions I got wrong. So, obviously, I mean, I'll take four out of six. But, yeah, uh, didn't see Gloucester really doing this. As you said, not beaten uh, Saracens at the Allianz or Stone X. I think they haven't beaten Saracens away since 2008, I believe. So, yeah, yeah really didn't see that come in. But, um, well, for, I think, I, I mean, I didn't actually watch it um, live. But from what I've seen, it was almost Gloucester... Le- like um, it's almost through Gloucester that Sarri's got back into the game. If that makes sense, I don't know. If this may be wrong, but from the from the highlights that I have seen, it looked almost as if Gloucester's um, almost let Sarri's back in, and it was more through that than actual Sarri's play. And it reminded me a bit maybe of the Exeter game, where if Gloucester had lost this game, which obviously Lazowski missed the conversion to win it, um, it would have been. Gloucester lost the game rather than Sarri's have won it. I don't know how far out I am on that. Um, I think it's a tough one because it did go um, sort of both ways. I think the, the biggest talking point in terms of Gloucester letting Sarri's back into it is is Gloucester starting very well. Um, they were very dominant for the opening stage. Uh, they only came out with five points, which was a little bit tough, bearing in mind the dominance that they did have. And then in, in literally the blink of an eye, um, Santi Carreras got a yellow card for a deliberate knock-on. Um, and then Lewis Ludlow got a yellow card for what Carl Dixon said was bringing down the mall. Um, I don't know what how it constituted bringing down the mall because he was on top of the player with his hands on the ball. Um, there was no sort of downward motion. He was he was holding the ball. It almost looked like he was trying to hold it up and, and get possession back. But who, who knows, really? Um, but yeah, two quick-fire yellow cards... And then all of a sudden, Saris were back in the game um, and scored two tries in that period. Um, but then as soon as we, Santi Carreras came back on, he forced another try um, by a knock-on from uh, Atoje, which Jordi Reid took advantage of. And from that point on, it was very neck and neck, really. And uh, Saris are Saris. They're, they're going to be a tough game. And I think what stunned Gloucester in certain periods was sort of the, the ruck speed that they had at... at at certain times, it was quite clear that Gloucester's game plan was in defence, slow that ball down as much as possible. Um, obviously, doing that quite often tiptoe on the line of whether it's legal um, or whether it's not legal. Um, when it was legal and they managed to slow Saris down, they seemed quite frustrated with the, the attacking play they could get. But as soon as they got that, that front foot on uh, breakdown time, um, they looked really dangerous out wide. And I think that's what undid um, the, the side that Saris played the week before um, was that exciting play. We saw them go to Northampton um, and really turn them over because of that line speed. And they tried to do that again, but Gloucester managed to weather the storm and, and come through. But it was a very 50-50 game and, and Gloucester definitely didn't look like the underdogs. Do you know what I mean? They, they didn't go there looking like a subpar team. They looked like a team that were we're in it to win it type thing. And, and they look like a team that thoroughly deserve their top four spot at the moment, to be honest. Well, yeah, I think the two things you get from it is definitely the spirit in the team. Um, they, they, they look like one of the closest teams 
like as a unit, they look one of the closest teams in the league. Um, and I think that's why they're getting the results they are. Um, and also, yeah, I think it really proves that, yeah, they could push on. Because I think if you build the Quinns game, obviously last week at King's Home, oh, this will prove if they've got it. And obviously then they lost that game. But I think it was kind of, from what you just said, a very similar game, very gritty. Um, and when Quinns got that line speed, they also did the same thing um, where they looked quite dangerous. But uh, yeah, I think to go away to Saracens really states the intention of Gloucester um, and really brings back on that top four charge. I know they weren't really out of it, but but um, will really give them... Uh, like uh, confidence going forward yeah i don't agree and as long as they're they're driving malls going forward like it has been recently um i think they this is a solid thing that, that dominates anyone and when we say this driving mall is good I, I think it's the best in the league and i think it's the best we've seen in maybe a, f- a few seasons with with how dominant it's been i think you could compare it to to the extra chiefs of a few seasons ago but i think they did a lot of work they, they, I do remember rightly, they did a lot of work after the mall, didn't they? If that mall would go down, it's it was when they're on the sort of five metre where they could really drive it over and punish you. Um, no, Chiefs did a few seasons ago, Chiefs rolling mall. It was almost, they they had it to the point where it was so well executed that Chiefs would go for the turn down kickable, very kickable chances because they knew they'd get the seven. Um, they, was, they were, but yeah. Uh, it also accumulated to that that if the mall, mall did go down, Chief backed themselves every time to get over the line. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it is very comparable to that, where it was almost as if oh, you let them kick to the corner, um, and I think maybe that's where theirs was slightly better. Uh, there was a couple I think Gloucester had where they messed the line out stuff on um, Sarri's five, where yeah. X just such a slick machine at that time. They just every time it was almost like right. They got a, they got a, um, a line out on the five. That's it. It's right done. Um, Interesting. Very close, but it's once it's got to the rolling mall, Gloucester are nearly unstoppable. It's just making sure every time they get it down and into that rolling mall. I will say when Ed Slater came on, obviously been away f- with an injury for a few months. Um, when he came on, the the line out seemed a lot slicker. Obviously, we know that he's been the line-out caller in recent years. Um, maybe it's just his organisation that, that sorted it out a little bit better. Um, but yeah, he seemed a, a strong asset when he did come back into the side. But credit to Freddie Clark playing out of position in that second row, and he's been phenomenal since he's come back in. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll see Slater and Freddie Clark playing together um, in that second row. And I, I think that would be quite a nice little uh, combination too. Um Right, moving on. Um, probably the shock of the weekend, I'd say. Um, Wasps versus Leicester. Leicester's unbeaten streak is no more. It's finished. Um, Wasps claimed a 16-13 win over the current league leaders. Um, yeah, what what can you say about this fixture? Just a fiery derby. Um, both teams completely up for it. Wasps got 16 players not available at the moment through injury, COVID, a few other things. Um, and yeah, they saw off the, the league leaguers and, and well-deserved too. Yeah, well, when you first said shock of the weekend, I thought you were talking about Bath Worcester. But um, no, yeah, uh, I agree. Definitely a shock. Uh, didn't see this coming again. Another one that I got wrong on my predictions. But I'm not sure many Wasps fans would have been that confident going to the game. Uh, but yeah, and I think... Wasps, obviously, without 
Umanga, who's still got a red card, uh, banned from the red card he got a couple of weeks ago. I think that makes it even more impressive. And they missed, lost for Fita and someone else just before kickoff. So, um, yeah, really understrength Wasp team went and harassed Leicester and really got at them. And, and Leicester, for the first time, you saw a few frailties this season. Um, they've seemed to have been so, so impenetrable. Um, what were your thoughts on the penalty try? I know uh, on comms, uh, Austin Healy thought it wasn't a penalty try, but for me, it looked a very clear, clear try. I think it was a penalty try personally. I think it, I think if that ball was to come, um, and I think potentially it was being shaped so it was going to come, um, I don't think you can stop a man like Elliot Stook from behind um, with the, with what, five yards to make. Um, I think by the time he hits the floor, he's got enough arm to reach out and touch it down anyway. So I don't think there was too much debate on on my point of view, anyway, uh, that was a penalty try. Um, I, I yeah, definitely I agree with that decision. Cruz, Cruz looks very obviously like he was about to pass the ball, and as he was about to, then Elliot Stoop got hit. I don't like it. Wasn't yeah. I? Don't really think there was any debate that the pass was about to come. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me it was clear and obvious. I don't know what Austin Healy's on about really. I'd agree. I'd agree. I think the one area of concern for Wasps was definitely scrum time. Um, I think Leicester dominated them for the majority of the game at that sort of point of view. Um, obviously, they've got Vincent Cock coming in next season. They've got a few boys that are currently not available. Um, so it was, I think Andy Goode said it was pretty much a third choice front row. So there's players to come back in and solidify that. Um, but yeah, I think we can we, we, we know that that's going to gonna get better. Um, yeah, always going to be a tough day against Genji, though, isn't it? Was yeah. it Genji, Cole? Is that their front row? Like, Yeah, Genji, Genji, Cole and Montoya. So, obviously, a very tough yeah. front row to did, be. Yeah. Um, um, did they have Tumanga Allen playing or not? Yeah, so Wasps had Hislop, Cruz and Tumanga Allen. I think Hislop came in last minute. Um but yeah, one player I will give a lot of credit to. Um, uh, you've mentioned him a few times. I know he's a favourite of yours as well. Dan Frost. Um, he came on and looked really exciting again. Um, top player. And then also um, B. Allo. Um, there was a time right at the end of the game where everyone looked knackered and Allo maybe more than most. And he was sort of staggering around the pitch on the verge of passing out. Um, and then a line break from Leicester. And all of a sudden, he turned on the burners and he managed to cut across, make a huge hit. Um, and then from there, I think they may have got a turnover. And not only did he stop the try, but obviously they regained possession. And for a, for a player who's on his last legs, absolutely gassed out. Um, fantastic little bit of motivation there to get himself going again and make the tackle. Um, and what a unit he is. You look at Hugard, obviously number nine, who's been having to play on the wing for the last couple of weeks. And doing a very good job of it, really. Um, obviously, he's got gas. We've seen that when he's played at nine. But, um, yeah, I think fair play for it to him to be actually going, you know, because he probably wants to play nine. Um, you know what nines are like. They like they got a bit of pride about them. They don't really like it when they end up stuck on the wing. But fair play to him for just getting on with it and doing a good job out on, out on the wing. Well, I heard this week that apparently he wants to stay there. 
apparently he wants to stay out on the wing. Um, and why not? I definitely wouldn't be telling him he's, he's not good enough to play on the wing. So I thought he was fantastic. Um, in fact, I gave him my man of the match when I when I wrote my uh, report up this week. Um, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. I thought Charlie Atkinson had a good game too. Alfie Barbary was huge. Sam Spink was very impressive through the 13 channel um, on both sides of the ball. Um, got some fantastic players. I thought Alex Stoke was good again. Um, obviously, I think that's the thing, isn't it, for Wasps? Their depth is incredible. You think any other team, I think pretty much any other team, even the Saris, uh, you take out that many players and how good they still are is, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit shocking, really. On paper, that team doesn't look like a team with 16 um, unavailable players, does it? Really? No. Um, but yeah, fantastic performance. I don't even think Leicester played that bad. I think Wasps just overran them and just, I hate using the phrase they wanted it more because obviously both teams wanted to come away with that result. But Wasps just had that little bit extra in the tank to see them through um, and get the win. So yeah, fair play to them. No, no unbeaten said, season. As I said, they were going to lose at some point. It happens. Uh, I don't think any team would ever do an unbeaten season. I think you're just going to have a game where something goes, uh, even if it was a bit like the the game we're on about now, where they just got an early red card, something like that. It, you're just not going to do an unbeaten season, I don't see, especially as you've got internationals leaving during the season as well. I, I just seen it happen. Yeah, and that's, that's it, isn't it? Maybe they'll start to worry a little bit because of the amount of internationals they will lose. Um, but will they? Not. Potentially, yeah. Obviously, who knows who who the likes of Eddie Jones and stuff are going to pick. Um, but you will see some uh, crucial players go from that uh, that side. Obviously, yeah. Ben Young's probably go. Ellis Gend will probably go. George Ford's definitely on the cards. Um, it would surprise me if he didn't go. To be honest, Freddie Stewart's going. Freddie Stewart, how good's he? Um, yeah, you, there's there's definitely players that might go. Um, George, what's his name? Um... Martin. That's the one. Yeah. So there's obviously players that can who are in contention and quite important players too. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see who goes. Um right, last game of the weekend, Bath versus Worcester. First win for Bath as one streak ends, another one starts. Um yeah, obviously a very early red card for Rory Sutherland. I think it was the second minute, wasn't it? Um that he got the very red card. Early, yeah. yeah, but very early on where you may have thought this game's dead and buried, Bath are going to walk this now, was not the case. Worcester did not go down without a fight. Um, very decent performance by a lot of their players. I thought Finn Smith at 10 for a young 10 was exceptional. Um, and yeah, 22 points to 19, Bath won in the end. So only a very marginal win, but they did pick up their win nonetheless. Um, so yeah, they're now off the mark with their first win of the season. Yeah, I think looking at it, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to really slag off Worcester. I think Worcester, it was actually probably Worcester's best away performance of the season. Um, they are a team that have struggled away from home pretty much all season. And you look at uh, how they, they lost this game to a late penalty. And also you look at the, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, a Jomo, and he said a mojo. That's not right. And Joe Mojai, um, very debatable. We'll talk about it in a minute. But um, yeah, I think I think Worcester were very good for for um, a team that was down fourteen men. 
but then also Bath were poor. Um, realistically, if you've got 14 men, it shouldn't be a close game. Even if it's a f- close first 60 minutes, you should be grinding that team down so that the last 20, 10, 15 minutes, you're, you're just over, overpowering them because they're just absolutely knackered because they've been working so hard all game. And yeah, to, to struggle past the team, I mean, maybe that's what Bath needed to kickstart their season, but it just shows that when you're not winning, it's really hard to get that first win. Yeah, and I think if you look at the table at the moment, um, even though they did get that first win, they're still 11 points off of Worcester. Um, so you're looking at three bonus points. Well, you're looking at two bonus point wins um, and then another win or a draw uh, or even some losing bonus points without Worcester getting anything uh, in return. So essentially, Bath have got 12 games to to get themselves back up the table. Um, tough ass for them. Um but you can never really write them off with the players they've got. But in terms of the way they're playing at the moment, even with the way they played against Worcester, it's not awfully reassuring. But um, but who knows? Eh? We wouldn't have said Gloucester would beat Saracens or Wasps would beat Leicester this season, uh, this this weekend. So who knows what can happen? Um, the Ajomo try that you mentioned a second ago, um, I think that was the only try where a player has pretty much said he didn't score that has still been given. Um the look on his face when he so say put it down suggested he got nowhere near putting it down. Um, I think the replay, if you're a Worcester fan, you'd probably say, Yeah, that's definite separation. If you're a Bath fan, you'd say, I've no idea what you're talking about. He's held that the whole way down. Um, what was your thoughts on it? I can't believe that's been given. Um, to be honest, I think it's one of the worst decisions I've actually seen. Um, because uh, the ball seems to be just sliding along on his own. And Jomo's reaction afterwards, he's almost like, dang, fuck, shit. I should have got, I should, I nearly got that. Um, and the fact, I think the other thing is the fact Maxwell Keys hasn't given it on the field. I think if he'd given it try on the field, I think fair enough, maybe you haven't got enough there to overturn it. But I think the fact they've had apparently got enough there to overturn that decision, I can't see, I can't see how. You, there's clear evidence there that he has grounded that ball. Um, so for me, that should never be a try. Yeah, I think I'd be inclined to agree with you. I'd say the only thing that saves him is the change of law where there just has to be downward pressure on there. Um, I can't see that. I don't know. It's it's a Yeah, uh, I, certainly whatever your opinion on it is, there's certainly not enough to overturn the decision in my opinion. Um, but What's what's the downward pressure with his face? Like I can't see. So that's the thing, isn't it? You, it's anything now, is it not? Well, I don't know. Don't you have to have some sort of control? No, no. That's the new law, isn't it? You just have to have downward pressure on the ball um, for it to be classed a try. So, but then should we knock the ball on? Um, yeah. Well, that's the other thing. That was that's the question, isn't it? Was there separation? Ah. Oh. I think that's. I think it's. I just don't think that's a try. Um, and to be overturned, I think, is even worse. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can certainly understand the frustration coming from, um, coming from Worcester fans with that one. Uh, yeah. And and the fact that that was the winning try as well rubs a little bit of salt in the wounds, I suppose. Um, but Bath fans won't care. First win, uh, first load of points. So 
yeah, they'll be delighted with that one going forward. So, so as we've just talked about the the Bath versus Worcester game, it makes sense for us to to carry on um, and look at the the red card for Rory Sutherland in this one. Um, for me, there's no real debate for it. Um, he started off slightly low, but then immediately came into an upright position where he's then clashed heads um, with his with the opposite man. Um, there's clear head contact. He's not gone too low. No real mitigation um, from the, the other player. So I, I don't think there can be much argument from anyone that that's a red card, really. No, I think it's a clear red card. Um, whether head-on-head head should be a red card, that's a different debate, I think, because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that that... I, I don't know. In this instance, yes. I think in other instances accidental head-on-head head is different i think uh but i think for this one yeah it's clear clear red card um he just goes at him will stewart doesn't really change his height at all and it's just yeah it's just silly isn't it really yeah especially so early on into the game there's no real i, I kind of understand you want to make a big crunch in hit sort of early doors um establish a bit of dominance but yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of control in it. And yeah, it's a shame for, for Sutherland, but I think the red card was the right decision um, for that one. Um, look at the Hepburn red. Similar story in terms of not a lot of debate. Um, I don't really understand what he's trying to do. Um, he's sort of come in from the side. Well, that's that's the one thing to start with. Both of the cl- uh, players cleaning out have come in from the side. Um, Hepburn's grabbed his leg and just kind of flipped him. Um, and coincidentally, um, Marla's landed directly on his head, um, which doesn't help uh, Hepburn's corner. But yeah, what it's, I, I don't really, I don't really understand what he's trying to do. Yeah, so I think Simmons is, Simmons is there as well. That's the other part of this, isn't it? Which I think makes it worse than Hepburn meant, but Hepburn should definitely get a red. Simmons comes in, and it's kind of an orthodox, he grabs his leg to try and, and as he kind of picks his leg a little bit off the ground, Hepburn just comes in, picks him up, and then just lets him go, and his head like crumples into the ground, but he kind of pulls him forward as he does it, so Marla, who's who's uh, over the ball, ends up just face planting into the floor and crushing all his head, he could have ended up with a, quite a nasty neck injury from it. Um, I think it's just unnecessary um Simmons was already there cleaning him out and he just picked him up and dropped him and it's just horrible and reckless I think um this one of all the reds I think from the weekend this one's by far the worst um because it's just no concern for the opposition at all he's just he's just dropped him so I think yeah definite 100% red yeah I think the key word with that one would definitely be uh reckless um now to a decision in um in the Leicester match. Um, or a non-decision. Yeah. So Ellis Genge got a yellow card in this match for reacting to uh, Hugard, who gave him a bit of stick after Hugard won, uh, won a turnover. Um, so I think it can be described as a push to the face, an open-handed push to the face from Genge to Hugard. Uh, a lot of people calling for a gouge that Genji is trying to go for a gouge. I think that is ridiculous. Um, I don't think that's what he's trying to do at all. Uh, David Flatman spoke on it. He said, 
it looks like he wants to hit him really hard. But what he's done instead is managed to open his hand. So he's not pu- punching him as such. He's just sort of pushing through um, rather than going for a punch, which I think I'd probably agree with. Um, either way, whether it's a punch or a hard push to the face, I don't think it's really a great, great look for Genj. Um, after that, he's also pulled his hair a little bit, which um, is obviously very unnecessary. Um, and to be fair, um, Hugard has lovely hair, so he probably spent quite a lot of time on that before the game. So I don't know if Genj took that into account when trying to do that, but I suppose that is an important factor to consider. I'm sure the TMO would have been made aware. Um, yeah, again, he's just a temporary lack of discipline and concentration, isn't it? Um, I think when Gen saw the yellow card, he was quite relieved that it was not a red <laughs> um, and maybe quite surprised too. Um, but yeah, I, I personally think it probably should have been a red. Um, but that's that's just my opinion. I know this one has split quite a few people. Yeah, for me, it's a red. Um, so who hard? Who hard? Who kind of goes in and I think he's like ripping the ball or pulling the ball away. And he, he kind of goes in with that action. And I think Genj just sees red. Um, oh, yeah. And well, yeah. And he literally <laughs> picks him. And obviously, this is a prop against, I know he's playing on the wing, but a nine. So it is quite a big size difference. He effectively punches him because I don't care if your palm's open or not. If you put, if you, if you swing like he did, I think it's, it's more with the, the motion of his arm. If you watch, it's not a push. It is a swing, which if you, okay, if you swing with your arm open, it's basically a punch, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's more like a karate punch, like, hi Um <laughs> And then to then grab his hair as well and pull him by his head a bit, I think it's just unacceptable, especially for your captain. And for me, it's just a red card because you can't just be pulling, um, like, remember, was it Atoja when uh, another player ripped his dreadlocks out because they had hold of his hair? Yes, you I do remember that. I can't remember who did that, though. No, I can't remember who it was, but I remember it happening. You could see Atoja's dreadlocks on the floor. Um, and you just can't be doing that. I, I don't see how that's fair. And for me, it's too much of a swing. Um, and there isn't enough. If if who had done more to like instigate it, I think then that's fair enough. Do you know you know when I'm what I mean when it's a bit more if yeah. Hugard had done something to deserve a yellow, then I think maybe his reaction then would be a yellow. But for me, there's not enough there. So for for me, his reaction should be a red. It's not quite on the McGuigan of a few weeks ago where he, like, well, I don't know what, what happened there, but uh, against Saracens where he just lost his head completely. But it's still, I don't think it's acceptable. No, I, I think I agree with you there. Um... What I don't agree with as such is the amount of people who are coming for Genj on socials. Um, he made a mistake. He lost his head for a split second. How many rugby players have we seen do that over the last however many years? And he still um, didn't punch him. Yeah, that's, that's he it. He's the body, not to the face. So. He's not hit him and then started kicking him and filling him in on the ground. As he's pushed him in the face, he's lost his head for a split moment. Um, and then he's gone off and he's come back Look 10 minutes it. later and he's played like the professional... He has done before. Um, he's certainly Manny not. Tualangi, you look at um, Andy Hazel. The yeah. best of them have all lost the red and just absolutely cracked people before. So, 
Well, you even look at someone like Ebenezer who's praised for being such a hard, aggressive enforcer. You look at older players like uh, Bucky's Botha, who obviously a different time to to when they were playing. Um, but you know what I mean? These players are praised, and as soon as someone like Genge does it, all of a sudden he's a thug. He's he's disgraceful. He, he's not in the spirit of the game. He's lost his head for a split second, and he's come back on, and he's you know what I mean? He's back in the spirit of the game, and he shakes everyone's hands at this at the end of it and I think this is the first time we've seen him lose his head all season um, yeah so and it, and it definitely was not a gouge it, no well I I really don't see where people are coming from with that um, it wasn't a gouge I don't think he's attempting to gouge him I think as, as I said before he's, he's trying to he's going to go for a punch but he's controlled himself enough to open his hand so it's not a punch so obviously still not acceptable but yeah I think people need to lay off him a little bit and certainly for, for those people who at players on um on social media whilst they're sort of firing abuse at them just grow up there's no need for stuff like that is there um he's he's he knows more than anyone that he's made a mistake so he doesn't need to be reminded and, and fired insults on on socials for it um but yeah for me probably a red card um Interestingly, Hepburn and Sutherland have both been cited and given three match bans, whereas Ellis Genge has not been cited for his. Um, that so was the thing. The, I thought he might get cited for that. Um, I thought so too, but he's not been, so he'll now be available for, for Leicester's next game. So, um, so yeah, an interesting one on that one. Um, the other one was one you sent me from the URC. Obviously, I don't keep up with the URC as, as frequently as I'd like, Um this is a bit of a double hit, wasn't it? And, and Simon Zebo. People don't know what that is. So yeah, so um, um, Zebo come away with a, uh, a red card for it. Do you just want to sort of explain what what happened in that one? So I, who was it? Munster versus I don't know who. Ulster. But Munster playing someone, and they put in a kick. Fullback comes to claim it, jumps up in the air, and then as he lands. Zebo and not sure who, but the number 10, both kind of come in and hit him and he falls back as you do. He's just landed um, and he's been given a red card because it's a straight contact shoulder, Zebo shoulder straight to his head. He's had distance and they've said there's not enough mitigating circumstances. Uh, for me, I'd probably say it's a yellow because he's jumped and then he's landed, and as he's landed, he's kind of landed with his knees bent, so he's still coming down as Zebo hits him, and the other player hits him. So they both hit him pretty much at the same time. I don't think there's that much force in it, but he has led slightly with the shoulder, but I think that's just because of the angle of making a tackle. Um, and it, it isn't with much contact. The, the player literally falls to the floor. They both go over the top of him because because they're running onto it, and he's and he gets straight back up and runs off. It's not like it's a big smash. It's nothing like that. So for me, because he is that drop in height and Zebo's r- sprinting onto him, and it isn't a, it isn't like a shoulder to his head. For me, that's the, I would see that as a yellow card, but. Mm, tough one, isn't it? I, for, for me, I'd say red purely because no matter, um, it, essentially, Zebo's tackle height isn't low. It's it's not. If the player stood up in a full upright position, he's still going to be looking at like right at the top of the shoulders. Um, 
sort of do you know what I mean position. He's not a tall player that he's tackled. Um, he's still quite high. He's hit the head. So for me, there's not enough. There's not enough that Simon Zebo's done to reduce the risk of that tackle. If that makes sense, he stayed high. He's hit high. Um, and I wouldn't say it's a shoulder charge as such, but he's he's certainly leading with the shoulder rather than wrapping straight away. Um, so yeah, for me, probably a red card. But again, it's, it's I think the problem is we're both sat here having looked at that clip however many times and come yeah. to a different conclusion. So that's the problem well, with these decisions, isn't it? Yeah, the slow mo is done for him there because if you play that in full time, it's it's so hard with him sprinting on and the player literally landing and going down. Like it's is literally, but if in the slow mo, obviously every tackle, but if you put half the tackles in a rugby game in the slow mo, half the time they look really bad. But um, yeah. But then the other thing is, should both of them have been carded? I don't think the other player got the shoulder to the head in the same way. Um which is why I think he didn't get a red. And I don't think a referee would ever read both of them, but... No. I th- well, I think he probably could pick one or the other there. They've both gone in the same sort of angle, haven't they? I think the first yeah. connection was with Zebo's shoulder. So I think that's probably why he's he's getting the sort of... Yeah, like I'm not the, sure the, the 10 actually made contact with the head. I'm, yeah, I he's just he's high, isn't he? Whereas Zebo's actually made yeah. the contact. Yeah, I'd agree. But yeah, that's as we said, it's it's subjective decisions, isn't it? So we we can both come up with this with different sort of different decisions after all of the evidence has been presented. So I think that's the real problem with a lot of these calls is there's no black or white answer, is there? It's just and and there probably shouldn't be because rugby is so variable. There's they're not gonna be you could say this if you look at it black and white, arm hit head, red card, but as we know, there's so many of those that aren't aren't the case. Um, That's the problem with football, isn't it? A handball at the moment. Arm hits ball. A ball hits arm, but it's ridiculous. If you give every yeah. penalty for that, it would be a joke. We got a similar sort of thing here. Um, yeah. But I think yeah, the refs do do generally a good good. I think it, the the problem fans have at points is like you just said with the a Majomo try. They tinker with the rules nearly every year. Um, and even me me playing, it's so difficult to keep up with the rules because um, they just bring in little slight things here and, and they never make it like properly official and you end up not knowing the rules half the time. And I think it is difficult for fans, especially those who are a bit more casual, to try and figure out, what wait, why is that being given or why is that a red card? Especially with some of these tackles and tackle height, which used to be um, a lot less for like you'd get a penalty or a yellow rather than the full red. Yeah, no, I, I can only I can only echo that, and I I think one of the biggest issues with it, and I, I posted about this the other day, is you spend half a game trying to decipher what kind of game the ref wants and what sort of rules the refs follow him. Um, not saying they're right or wrong. Then you go to the next game. And then it's a completely different rule set and something that's a penalty in one game is not a penalty in the other. And then you look at these bigger decisions and it's the same sort of story. Um, So it's always going to be a struggle to understand when every ref has a different interpretation of those laws. The perfect one is for the ruck. Certain refs will do when the ball's lifted and certain certain refs will do when the fly uh, from the scrum half's got ball uh, with hands on the ball um, when they, they can come forward. How can you have both? You surely it should be set one way 
every ref, it is the, when the ball is lifted, that is when the ball is out of the ruck, not when the scrum half's got his hands on the ball. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, regardless of whichever rule is, whichever law, sorry, is right, it has to be one or the other. There's no, yeah. it shouldn't be, oh dear, the ball's out when I didn't think it was. Now I'm being clattered by three back rows. Um, it's, do you know what I mean? You should, there should be some sort of communication of that um, before they go into yeah. it. But And I think refs get credit for being uh, consistent, but they get it consistent in a game. And I think that's the thing. You need it consistent across the board because it's okay to be consistent in the game. But I think Tom Curry was struggling with this. I think really at the start of the Bristol Sale game, they were heavy into the, and that's why he got a yellow card so early on, is they were heavy into the rucks early on and Wayne Barnes just wasn't having any of it but I think it's hard because Curry got done on a few tight decisions but next week he might do exactly the same thing and he's won inside three penalties in the first 10 minutes but this week he's got a yellow card so yeah I no, I, I, I completely second that um yeah it, it's so it's so inconsistent from game to game and ref to ref it just needs to be really nailed down as a sort of as close to black and white as possible really um yeah. right but that's enough ref slander for for the podcast well, it's not ref slander it's rule no. slander <laughs> yeah no i do i do i do um i'm with you on that one uh just it, yeah it's very frustrating and you spend about 30 40 minutes a match trying to adjust and realize these new rules don't you before before you move yeah. on and you just don't want controversial decisions to, you want the best teams to win um, and you don't want the controversial decisions winning. Do you know what I mean? You, you want the g- proper, nice rugby to be played rather than you coming away from a game. Oh, like Worcester fans, they wanted to go and watch their... Fa- tra- you don't want to come from the game. Oh, if that Jomo try hadn't been... Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think that's just something in sport that we've got to deal with. But yeah, as minimum as possible would be would be fantastic. But we will move on. Um so a bit of news on the day of recording. Um, Chris Boyd is stepping down um, from his roles at Northampton Saints to pursue an advisor role in New Zealand. Um, we will see Phil Delson uh, be promoted to director of football. And then we'll also see Sam Vesti come in as head coach. Um, Do you mean director of rugby? Pardon? Do you mean director of rugby? What did I say? Director of football. <laughs> That's because you were just talking about football. Director of rugby. Yes. So <laughs> Phil Dawson will be director of rugby, not football, rugby. at Northampton. Um, so, yeah, interesting about this. I think they're now the only club that there's question marks around whether Bath will be the same sort of setup next season. But the only club to now go back to a DOR and head coach. Um, obviously, I think Gloucester were that way until Skivington came in. Um, but yeah, so interesting to go back to that sort of tactic. But um, nice to see two younger coaches coming through again to to take take the reins rather than cashing out on a on a big name manager. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes um, in the in the next season. Obviously, uh, Chris Boyd is stepping down from next season, not straight away. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Um, obviously, you don't end up with it's not like football; you don't end up with like manager changes all the time. Um, so it is interesting seeing Northampton go in a different way because they are, I don't know, I don't know how long Boyd's been there. It's, it's a few years, but it's not a long, long time, is it? Um, and they have seemed to be a bit chugging along. Um, I think it, it was before his time when they had their, their, like when they won the league and had 
their proper like glory days. So they've kind of been very. Um, I think this season sums up kind of his tenure, doesn't they? Where they've been, they've looked really, really good at times, and then not so good at others. Um, but yeah, it's good to see some young coaches getting a chance. And uh, but it was interesting because I was looking for that to see who they would bring in. Um, but yeah, just some younger coaches from within the system, which is always a nice way to do it. Yeah, it is nice. Obviously, we've seen similar things happen at other clubs where it's not quite worked. Um, but yeah, I wish them all the best with uh, with their step up, and hopefully, uh, we'll see Northampton really kick on and find some consistency in that in and around that top four. Um, couple of transfer rumours now. Um, bit of an exodus at Wasps going on, isn't there? Um, yeah, I think a couple of these are more or less confirmed, aren't they? But not quite confirmed. But two definitely. Definitely maybes. Definitely. Yeah. Absolute maybe definitely. Um, so first of all, Malachi Fakitoa going across to Ireland with to um Munster. Um I think the prospect of a Damien Dialende at 12 with Malachi Fakitoa at 13 is absolutely disgusting. Um I would not want to be anywhere near that pitch. In fact, I think I might be nervous if I was an away fan. Um, go into Munster just in case one of their monstrous hits misses, and and um, that that's close enough for me in the stands to that. I think I might have to um, watch that on telly rather than being in there because they are some monstrous players in a in a centre partnership together. That's a little bit scary in my opinion. Yeah, um, what a pairing that would be. I mean, for in a wasp sense. Um... They'll obviously need to bring in a replacement, but he has been quite injury prone during his time at Wasps. Um, and I would imagine he's on quite big money. So maybe they can, if they could find someone who maybe is, is a bit more reliable as in plays more games, even if he's not quite as good, I think maybe that, that could end up being a positive for Wasps. Um, but yeah. Obviously, a shame to see him not in the Premier anymore. But yeah, I'm going to really go and rip it up at Mon- Munster. Yeah, I don't think this has been confirmed by either club yet, has it? But it's looking no, very likely by a lot of journalists. Like it's pretty much done. Yeah. Um, obviously, there was a lot of rumours suggesting that um, Lavani Bottier was on his way into England, whether that would be um, sort of Leicester bound or Wasps bound. But he's now signed a new contract. So. So maybe so yeah, not really sure if um if if there'll be a new player coming in. Obviously, Sam Spinks come in this season and look quite positive. Um, but yes, disappointing for Wasp signs, I'm sure, but a great opportunity for Fekatoa to go across to there. Um, next one, which came out of nowhere a bit, was um Vea Fafita, who only joined this season, is now going across to Scarlets. Obviously, absolutely box office signing from a Scarlet's point of view to sign the the um Kiwi lock. Um, apparently, Fafita was on a, a one-year contract with a, an extension possible for the second year, but I, I think he's chosen to go to Scarlets rather than um, cashing in on that second year at Wasps. So, a bit of surprise for the Wasps um, family, but um, yeah, I bet Scarlets are uh, delighted with that one. Yeah, you can kind of see from his perspective why. Um, they obviously haven't had the best season. He has been one of their better players. Um, but yeah, a shame to have only got him for a year, but 
but you look at what he's done. He creates so many opportunities. He is he's a very good player and really exciting for Scar- uh, for Scarlets. I saw a, a little um, what's it called claim earlier on that said it was the most exciting transfer into Wales for years, and you you have to be hard pushed to disagree. Um, I think he'll he'll really light it up over there. Um, would will was maybe you look at. He he's looking around and thinking when these players get fit, you've got the likes of Launchbury to come back. Um, obviously loads of players at Wasps. Is he maybe looking at I don't want to like end up being on the bench a bit more and he thinks he can go to Scarlets and be in a slightly better team and actually fully play every game. Um, maybe that's his thinking. I don't know. Or maybe he just wants to get away before he gets injured, because that seems to be what happens to every Wasps player. <laughs> yeah, quite quite possibly. And I, from a Wasps I can't say wasps this evening. From their perspective, um, it seems that they need to cut a few costs. Um, I can yeah. imagine that Peter's probably on a couple of quid, and rightly so. Um, so maybe he's just a big salary that they feel they can get rid of in place of of like someone like Launchbury, who's hopefully coming back quite soon. Um, a weird one. I was very surprised by this. Apparently, Gopeth is being targeted by some French clubs. Um, as well as Leicester. Um, not sure where this one is. Where the other two, I think, are fairly close to being completed. I don't know where the Gopeth one is. Um, very strange, though. Very strange, in my opinion. Um, I don't think so. Um, Leicester, maybe. Yeah, I think that might be a weird one if he was to go there. Um, not sure Leicester really need him. Um, how old is he now? 38, 39? Something 38, like. yeah, at the moment. Yeah, so really getting on. Um, but I could understand him going to France, going to France, get being put on a fairly decent contract and playing the last couple of years in France um, for good money. I could see, I could see that happening. Um, but it'd be a massive miss for Wasps because he has been yet again brilliant for Wasps this season, especially in recent weeks when Imanga's been um, banned. Uh, and he, he's just such a good utility player, isn't he? Plays 10, plays 12, and plays 13, and he just slots all his kicks. So, yeah, I, I think having uh, Gopeth in your team is a, is a useful weapon, but I, I don't think Leicester will be his choice. Yeah, well, it's, it'll be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Just sort of keep your eye on that one. But obviously, I know you're a, a serious fan of... Um... Gopeth, I'm pretty sure you've got some Jimmy Gopeth pajamas sat somewhere waiting to put on when you get go to bed. Um, but obviously, he's a fantastic player, and as you say, such a useful player as well to to have around the, the camp. I think from from my point of view, it's it's I don't understand why you target someone sort of of that age to come in as a new signing, especially for someone the likes of Leicester if they are in for him. Whereas for Wasps, I see the use of keeping him around because he knows the club. Um, he can cover multiple positions. He seems great with youngsters from all reports. Um, so, yeah, interesting. I think from my perspective, it's more interesting why Wasps are letting him go, more of why other teams in for him. Um, but, yeah, well, have... Maybe it's that 39 and they don't really want to give him a new contract. Maybe uh... so, yeah. And there could be, there's so many things that can interchange and, and cause problems down the line, can't there, with, with contract uh, negotiations. But, um, but yeah, keep your eye on Jimmy Gopeth. Um Yeah, maybe that's maybe that is it. Maybe they. I've just thought maybe he's demanding a two-year contract, 
and they're thinking we only want to give him a year because they don't want him when he's 40. Maybe that's quite possibly, yeah. That is quite possible. Um, yeah, I suppose we just have to to keep our ears to the ground on that one and see see how it pans out. Um, a couple of renewals in the Premiership. Uh, so Augustine Creevy has um, renewed his contract with London Irish with a great little um, great little um, video as well. Great announcement video. Very funny. Um, credits to the the London Irish guys. Um, and then Don Morris has renewed his, his contract with Saracens. Um, how good is Creevy, by the way? Yeah, that's it's just massive for them. Although, I'm not going to lie, he looks a hell of a lot older than uh, Jimmy Gopper, considering he's actually younger. That's, you're horrible, isn't you? You, you, we've had a We've had a day, a podcast, but I think, we haven't been too negative. I think it just compares a, life, a day in the life of a 10-slash-centre or a hooker, he's had to he's had to get in there and be dirty, hasn't he? True, maybe so. Yeah, put his face in a couple of places that faces aren't usually supposed to go, like on the back end yeah. of the boot. Um, but fantastic player, just absolutely lighting up for London Irish. Um, and yeah, had loads of experience, but still got the uh, sort of the the legs of a spring chicken. Um, so yeah, uh, a top player to, to have about the camp. Uh, and obviously, Don Morris is a very useful player as well for Saracens to have in that back line too. Um, a little bit of other transfer news as well. I think this this has been officially confirmed by both clubs now. Um, but Liam Williams has gone across to Cardiff Blues. Um, he'll join Talupe Falatal and Thomas Young, who have both signed um, for next season too. So a couple of big Welsh players um, going across to Cardiff Blues, and I'm sure they'll, they'll be loving it. Um, as long as they can play, because they don't, he hasn't played too many games for Scarlets. Um, but yeah, hell of a hell of a name to have in your in your camp. It's just Cardiff now. Did I say? Is it you just Cardiff? Cardiff? Yeah, no, they ditched the Blues. I don't know why, but it's just Cardiff. My mistake. My mistake. Just Cardiff. Um, but yeah, I think the big one there, obviously, Liam Williams is brilliant. Uh, as you said, won't really play that much probably because the Welsh RFU don't let them. Um, but it'll be interesting seeing Falatau. Uh, obviously, a big loss for Bath. They lost Zach Mercer last year, um, losing Falatau this year. I mean, it won't really affect the, maybe the current this this season because he hasn't actually played for them, I don't think, at all. But as a player, he is brilliant. And in previous seasons, he has been very good for Bath. Um so yeah, it, it will be a loss, but maybe they can reinvest that money because I'd imagine he would have been on quite a bit of money. Yeah, I'd agree, and that's that's it, isn't it? Obviously, Cardiff are looking to build. Well, well, English clubs are are looking to to reduce to fit into the the salary cap, and I think it might come round to to bite them on the ass in the in the coming seasons. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it on the transfer front recently. Um, so it's a European weekend this weekend. Um, so we're going to do some Champions Cup predictions, aren't we? Um, yes. I think it's well, my turn in the hot seat. Yes. You're going to be looking at the European games. Okay. Uh, let's go for the Friday night games. Uh, and first, you've got, funny enough, Cardiff versus uh, Quinns in Cardiff. I reckon... 
know what? The last couple of games that I've seen Cardiff playing on, they've given absolutely everything. They've got pretty close to putting some decent performances. So I'm actually going to back Cardiff on this one. Um, I, I think that might be a bit of an underdog shout, but I'm going to go for Cardiff. I'm going to back the Cardiff boys. See, I think this will be funny. I, personally, I, I disagree because I think Quinns are too good for them. But I think personally, it might be actually, you know, because they had all their kids playing everything. I think they might end up losing worse with the first team out. Do you know what I mean? It's a funny, funny yeah, way that that happens. Um, but yeah, I respect the Cardiff. Um, the Cardiff, not then, Blues. No, not Blues, just not rugby. Blue. And then uh, the other game, which is something at nine o'clock, if you want to stay up for that one, a bit late. But um, Cast are playing Munster. Cast um, friends. I think Munster are just a phenomenal team. Um, so I'll probably back them on this one. Um, although Castle are quite good in reverse. No, I'll go for Munster. I'll go for Munster, I think. Yeah, I think it'll be difficult going to France. Whether that game will be able to go ahead, I don't know. Um, but I'm assuming, as it hasn't been cancelled yet, that they'll have had some permissions from France to get in. So hopefully. Uh, then we go on to the Saturday. And at one o'clock on Channel 4 and BT Sport, there is Wasps versus Toulouse. Toulouse. I mean, how, how do you bet against Toulouse at the moment? Um, yeah, it's got to be Toulouse. Sorry, Wasps fans, but it's got to be Toulouse. Maybe if they're playing the next, one of the next teams, you can back against Toulouse. Uh, that's Ospreys versus Racing. Again, how do you, how do you bet against Racing? Um, what if they're playing each other? <laughs> oh, true, true. Um, I don't want to go into that at this at this point. Um, <laughs> I think Racing will beat Ospreys. I think they've just got too much for any team in the competition, let alone um, poor Ospreys. What? You haven't nasty dig at Ospreys? You say about me? Bloody hell. No, I'm saying poor Ospreys because Toulouse are just yeah, fantastic. Uh, Racing are just fantastic. Let alone poor Ospreys, as in... Oh. Well, let's be fair. Ospreys aren't on the same sort of level that your La Rochelles, um, your Leinsters, those sort of teams, are they? I don't know if they're Ospreys fans. No, they're not. But there we go. And then Connell are playing Len- uh, not Leinster, Leicester. In Connell. Tough one. I'm going to go against the odds. I think Connell are going to win. Connell. Connell. Yeah. See, I've been... I think that you'd be correct because I think Leicester might have a, a bit of a sticky point now. Like they've got the first loss, and I think now they might have a couple of games where it's like takes them a bit to get back on their feet. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm gonna go for that. And also, didn't Connell run them really close at home as well when Leicester were yes, at home? Yes, they did. They did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh then we've got to Stad Rochelle versus Bath. Um, <laughs> in France, um, La Rochelle. I don't know why I was taking so long with that. It's La yeah, Rochelle. It's got to be. Uh, La Rochelle. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Exeter versus Glasgow. This is going to be tough, you know. I actually think I'm going to go against the odds again. Or actually, have I picked an English team to win yet? Um, yeah, you picked. No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back Exeter. I was gonna I was tempted to back Glasgow, but because I haven't backed a single because Glasgow did do an absolute job on them in the reverse fixture. Um yeah, I'm gonna go for Exeter. I think I'll have a bit of a point to prove. 
Yeah, and at Sandy Park. No, and nice they'll just be either. hoping that the game's not played. There's a bit better visibility this time round because you couldn't bloody see the ball last night. True as that. True as that. Uh, and then the last game on Saturday is Bristol playing Stade Francais. Um, I'd probably go Bristol on this one, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'll go Bristol. I'll go Bristol. I don't know how good Stade Francais are, so I don't know if that's controversial or not, but it'll be good for Bristol to get a few wins under their belt in a row. Give them a bit yeah. Of yeah, for sure. For sure, to be sure. And talking about that, we're going to Dublin next for Leinster versus Montpellier. <laughs> was that a Dublin accent, was it? Yeah, definitely. I think it is best we skip past that one. Pretty, pretty sharpish. <laughs> um, Leinster versus Montpellier. Um, Leinster. I think Leinster are just in that tier of teams right at the top who are just that little bit better than, than most of the others. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, then back into England, I could do that accent, um, for Northampton versus Ulster. Tough one, this. Really, I think this might be one of the closer games of the weekend. Um, Didn't Ulster was, batter them before? No, 27-22 the score was. Um, oh, right. For that game, so pretty close. Um, I'm going to go Northampton, just because it's at Franklin's Gardens, but that really could go either way. Well, technically, any of these games are... Uh, then Bordeaux against Scarlets. Hmm. Let's go for Bordeaux. I'm going to go for Bordeaux. Is Charlie Beffert? I don't know, but they're quite good even without him. So let's go Bordeaux. Let's go Bordeaux. Trinduke, Stick to my guns. Trinduke as well, I think. I believe. Yeah, yeah. We'll go for we'll go for Bordeaux. And then the last game of the weekend is Claremont versus Sale. I'm going to lock in at Claremont, I think. Yeah. Do I? It's not good, looking good for English teams this week, is it? I don't know. Is it English teams are weaker in general? Or uh, well, I think it might be as well, actually. I'm thinking out loud here. The teams who did well this season, last season, aren't doing that well this season. So you look at some of the better teams like Gloucester and... Uh, that's really it. But, uh, and Sarri, sorry who aren't in this competition. They're two of the better teams this year who aren't in this competition. So Maybe it's a bad omen. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I'll stick to my guns on those ones. Um, usually I don't get too excited for European weekends. It usually feels like a little bit of a, a dampener from the Premiership Cup and um, from the Premiership sort of League games. Um, until you get to sort of those knockout stages where it gets really exciting. But looking at these, I think there's some fantastic fixtures. Um, I think Cardiff versus Quinns will be quite a fiery one. Um, I think Connor versus Leicester will be good. Exeter versus Glasgow will be a really tough battle. Um, La Rochelle versus Bath will be um, uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> Bristol hosting Staff on Sale will be a cracker. I think Northampton versus Ulster is a really interesting matchup. Um, yeah, there's fascinating games all across the board, and there's even some really good ones in the Challenge Cup too, which um, which will be really interesting to watch. London Irish versus Edinburgh probably being the pick of the bunch on that one, um, and even oh, seeing how. Just, I just want to touch on as well how it's a bit poor, really, that um, from the last round of fixtures, any French team involved got a a nil-nil draw, apart from the two games which were built for the Friday night, which were Montpellier versus Leinster 
and Racing versus Ospreys, where they both, Montpellier and Racing both got handed a 28 point, 28 to nil win, so a five point win. That's a bit unfair, isn't it? That they both got a four point, a five point win when all the other teams, who, their games got postponed, uh, got cancelled and they both drew. Yeah, it does make it quite, um, well, a very uneven playing field, isn't it? When it's, it's not the teams that are at fault as such. Because yeah. had they been playing on the Saturday, they would have got a draw. But just because they were playing earlier, they've been penalised. It doesn't sit quite right, doesn't it? It brings out the question, like, even though it's morally right to call it off as soon as possible, do you just wait right until the last minute to, to call it? Because you might get a few points out of it instead of losing some. But... Um, yeah, where's Lentz? Well, the, I think the big one here is Leinster. Leinster obviously have lost effectively 28 0. Um, well, it sounds like they're appealing the decision as well. So, um, be interesting to see if that gets overturned in light of the other decisions that have been made. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this goes, especially for a club like Leinster or really be targeting this competition as, as a bit of silverware they can take home. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, we've been going on for so long. It has been. I need some food. You need some food. Um, so join us next week, Friday, 10 a.m. for uh, episode 14 of the podcast. It's been episode 13. Thanks again for listening, guys, and uh, enjoy your weekend of rugby. Bye-bye.